from Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and former colleague, Robin Stewart. Robin and I met when we were both working on the eBay Global Information Security Team, during which she performed malicious code research. Robin also ran security operations at Wells Fargo and is currently a principal threat researcher at a Fortune 50 company. Robin is a published author in the information security field and is also in the process of publishing her debut thriller novel. Robin, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. So Robin, one of the things that I'm always curious about and which I was so surprised that I didn't know about you is how people actually got into this industry. Um, yesterday, you were telling me that you actually started your career as a paralegal doing civil litigation support. You took some time off, you were mountain biking, you wrote another book. You're, you're a very prolific author on all sorts of different topics and all sorts of different genres. And then you went back to being a paralegal and you found yourself uh, dealing with the Melissa worm. Can you tell me a little bit about what was that all like for you? You were kind of bouncing all over the place and then, and then it seems like, you know, you found maybe what it, what it is that you're meant to do. Yeah. So I was um, in the throes of trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to be when I grew up more or less. And um, while I was taking a break from being a paralegal and doing the journalism, uh, found out that's a very hard way to make a living. So I went back to litigation and litigation support, <clears throat> excuse me, and the law firm where I was working was a mid-sized firm, and at a time when I was sort of at a career crossroads, trying to decide if I should go to law school or do something completely different, that was when the Melissa worm hit the firm, and I was instantly intrigued. Uh, our IT department was two guys who, once they remediated it, they were rebuilding the network. When they first started implementing the, the password requirements for uh, accessing our network resources and our inboxes and such, uh, I am very driven by curiosity with everything I do. And so, of course, naturally, the first thing that I did was to try to get into the managing partner's email. Um, and big part of my job is working with most of the lawyers in various forms and functions. And so I knew quite a bit about the guy. And I tried his daughter's name as his password and got in immediately. And so I went to our IT guys and I said, this was too easy. Anybody who knows this guy is gonna get this. And they were like, oh my God, how'd you do that? So then one of them said, okay, we're going to implement password complexity. We're going to require numbers as well. And uh, so the next thing that I did was I tried daughter's name and birth date. Worked again. So uh, after a few more iterations of this, the, uh, one of the two guys pulled me aside one afternoon when I was very clearly bored. And so he, he said, come here for a second and just take a look in here. And something that nobody knew, uh, one of the reasons I was really good at being a paralegal and has actually served me very well uh, in my current line of work, is I have an eidetic memory. 
and uh, I, I refer to it as a semi-photographic memory um, because if I can remember the context of where I see something, I will remember everything about it. And he didn't know that I could do this. So as I'm, I'm studying the internals of this computer, he's, he's like pulling cables apart so that I could see where things were connected. And he said, really take a good long look in there. Well, I had it within just a couple of minutes. And I have no idea why he's asking me to do this. He reaches in, he pulls everything apart in the computer, like, and starts unscrewing the motherboard from the casing, everything puts all of the pieces into the case top and says, where's your car? And so I took him out to my car in the parking lot and he put all this in my trunk and says, bring it back when it's working. I'm like, okay. So that night I took the computer out of my car, put it on the floor of my home office and start tinkering around with it. And I quickly learned about the whole, number one, don't have anything plugged in when you're putting things together. And number two, always ground yourself because I got shocked almost immediately. So I moved to a plastic surface and start putting everything back together. And I didn't have a monitor. I didn't have a keyboard or a mouse. All I had was the box and the power cable. So I powered it on and I hear the whirr of it starting up. I'm like, well, I think it works. So then I take it back to him the next morning and he was like, you did it already? And I said, yeah, yeah, it only took me a little while. And he, he puts it uh, together with a monitor, keyboard, mouse, plugs it in, starts it up, it works perfectly. Mm -hmm. He turns to me and says, you are in the long, wrong line of work. And at about the same time, uh, I had been reading in the San Francisco Chronicle about Deloitte's new digital forensics practice. It was new at that time. And reading about what the, these people were doing, it was so intriguing to me. And I was like, I want to do that. So I sat down with this guy uh, and he and I went through the UC Extension catalog, course catalog, and he's peppering me with questions about what do I know about computers? And I knew nothing. So he recommends uh, this, this one course to me. It was a semester long course on Microsoft, uh, computers and networks. And it was basically the MCSE bootcamp, but stretched out across a semester. Um, and so I uh, took that class and I was having so much fun with it that I ended up quitting my job so that I could focus 100% of my energy on getting through this course and also getting all of the certifications because I knew that uh, I had reinvented myself a couple of times by this point, and I knew that uh, without that motivation of, I gotta do this because otherwise I'm not going to be able to pay my rent, uh, I may get a little lazy. So I got, the, got through the classes, got all the certifications. I think it was at the time it was five certs that went along with MCSE, uh, and the rest is history. Um, I went from that course to uh, looking for a job. And of course, I had no experience in, in computers or technology. And so I'm just looking through want ads and uh, Craigslist mostly. At the time, LinkedIn didn't exist. And uh, I was responding to job postings. And if I even got a call back, 
I was usually dismissed pretty quickly because of having zero experience until I talked to a, uh, a woman who had placed an ad on Craigslist for a, uh, a headhunter uh, uh, contracting agency. And I talked to her on the phone and she was just like intrigued with me. She was like, wow, you sound like you're so enthusiastic and you just kind of need that, that first step. And I said, exactly. And she said, okay, well, why don't you come in? No guarantees, but let's just see how, you, how things mesh, you know, if she and I had chemistry. And uh, she sent me out on just one interview for a contract job. And uh, that was at Wells Fargo. And she put me there because of the hiring manager. Uh, it wasn't a security job. It was a job as a platform engineer, but um, this headhunter thought that I would get along great with the hiring manager. And she was right. In the course of the interview, I'm sitting in this, this giant conference room. It was the first time I'd ever been in like this kind of environment with a whiteboard up above this huge ass table, you know, in the glass front, fronted room and it's a bank. There's all this bustling, everyone's so serious. And as we're going through the interview, Reba was the name of the, the, uh, the woman who hired me. Reba is asking me questions, doing the interview thing, but I'm asking her almost as many or probably more questions than she was asking me. And by the end of the interview, she had drawn out basically the entire network on this whiteboard along with, I kept asking about different security things because I didn't know very much, but I knew a few things like antivirus and firewalls. I, I knew conceptually what they were. I just didn't know much about them. And so I was asking her questions about that. And she's showing me all the different points of the network where there are firewalls and there's network segmentation. And of course I didn't have the words at the time. But at the end of the interview, because I had asked so many questions, she was like, you know, you don't have any experience, but God, you're like a sponge because every, every question you're asking, you're building on the answers. So there's clearly something here. So let's just give you a try. And uh, I also, as we were about to leave the room, she wasn't, she hadn't erased the board or anything yet. So I, I turn around, I, I point to the board and I said, oh, by the way, you probably shouldn't do that again. And she's like, what? And I said, well, you basically, if I was a bad person, you just told me how to break into the, to the bank's network. And she was like, okay, yeah, you're starting on Monday. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I think that for some folks in the field or even outside the field looking in, to see someone who has done malicious code research, who's currently focused on threat research that, it can seem awfully intimidating, but I think it's just so cool that you're sharing with us a story like there was a time when you knew nothing about computers and that did not stop you. Robin, you've always taken this sort of adversarial perspective to your work. Um, and it seems to me like something that it's almost just like part of your DNA. Um, can you tell me a little bit about where you think that came from and then something you know in your security work you know there's so much that i'd love to chat with you about but but maybe like one story of something really fun that you did something that you're allowed to tell us 
<laughs> sure. So, um, well, I take issue with the word adversarial. I, I, I look at it more as like an offensive security approach. I liked breaking things when I was little, when I was growing up. Um, there were two things that I did a lot of. Um, I wrote ghost stories and mysteries, you know, when I was very, very young. Um, and I also would tinker with things. And sometimes I got into trouble with my parents for the tinkering because I would do things like take the phone apart and then forget to put it back together. Um, I built a radio from scratch. Uh, my dad took me down to Radio Shack and, and he bought me all the like little components to build things. I built little teeny tiny robots and my dad would work with me on, on building little robot cars and things like that with these, with these sets. Um, so on the one hand, I liked to break things just to figure out how they worked. And then I like to repair them and make them better. So the phone thing, um, was probably illegal what I was doing, but uh, what I did was first I, I would take the part, take apart the phone, put it back together, see if I could make the sound quality better, uh, and then I started experimenting with splicing of power lines, phone lines, and, and things like that. So I, I was writing at a very young age, writing and illustrating little stories for my own amusement and, and for friends and also for classics and stuff. But the darker side of human nature has always fascinated me. And I don't really know where that comes from, except for maybe it was the, when I was really little and, and you know how your parents tell you bedtime stories. My parents encouraged my brother and I to participate. So they would you know, give us prompts and then say, okay, so what happens next? It, which was a terrible idea in trying to help a child go to sleep because my imagination would keep going, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I would almost always go into some sort of mysterious, cataclysmic, uh, you know, world ending type of scenario. And my parents are like, geez, okay, fine. But uh, yeah, I don't know why it is, but for a long time, I thought I wanted to be a cop, but my loved ones were very against that idea. So I think that's why information security was so attractive to me because it was a way to use this, this power and insight for good without having people shoot at me. Cool. I certainly can appreciate <laughs> the, the physical security aspects of our roles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fewer, fewer guns involved. Yes. Um, but at the same time, there can be sort of like dicey situations. Um, oh, yeah. Can you tell me about, you know, either, you know, when we were working on the eBay security team or maybe in your current role, what kinds of things excite you about applying this type of thinking to computers, to the internet, to all things digital? I really like serving the greater good. So what I do as a threat researcher, it's confusing to a lot of people because uh, I work with, you know, I work for a company, I get paid by a company, but I actually work with uh, peers at all different companies around the world and different law enforcement agencies around the world. I set these goals, these very sometimes lofty goals for myself. 
And one of them was when I was first involved with information security at eBay. By that time, I had already done intrusion detection um, uh, at all different levels, intrusion prevention, uh, firewalls, network security, things like that at Wells Fargo. And then when I got to eBay, um, I kept being allowed and encouraged to constantly reinvent my, my role. And after helping to set up the incident response and forensics capabilities there, the forensics was what I really, really wanted to do because it was basically reverse engineering a crime or uh, reverse engineering a, a malware infection or something, and then taking it a step further and reversing the, the malware itself to understand how it worked, which helped me also to understand what the, the criminal actors were intending, which helped me then to understand the criminal actors themselves. At eBay, the chief information security officer for the benefit of your listeners, but the CISO, um, who we both know and love, Dave Colonnade, at the time he was very uh, a, a big proponent of going out and uh, spreading the word and the gospel of security. And so anytime that I had any opportunity to work with other groups or get involved in sharing groups, he was always like, yeah, go for it. And one of the most fulfilling projects I ever got to do was uh, someone put out a call in one of the sharing groups that I was participating in to get some help with writing a wrong. And that was the case of uh, State of Connecticut versus Julia Merrow. And this was a, a substitute teacher who was being uh, prosecuted for impeding the morals of minors or something archaic like that in um, in Connecticut, a small town in, in Connecticut. And it was all based on the classroom computer experiencing what was effectively a porn storm. A piece of malware or a redirect or a script that would generate a whole bunch of windows popping open with different pornographic websites all popping up at once. And, as fast as you could click them closed, it was actually opening even more. So any sort of human interaction with this type of malware was just making matters worse. And this poor woman, she didn't know anything about computers and I could totally relate to that. She didn't know what else to do, so she just turned off the monitor um, and she had no idea how it even started. But she was going to jail because of a six day trial with a very, shall we say, non-technically savvy expert witness on behalf of the prosecution who was saying, yes, absolutely, this woman intentionally was surfing porn in the classroom in front of the kids, and she did this on purpose, and she needs to lose her license and go to jail. And the jury bought it, and she was facing 40 years in prison. And so this, this person, um, Alex Eckleberry, who was at the time CEO, I think, of an anti-malware company, he put together a, a group of us in proving that what the, the state said that this woman did was impossible, and also proving that what happened was because of malware 
and because of the the poor state of the security of this the school network and we did it uh, we put together a timeline of recreation uh, an analysis a full analysis alex got us uh, forensic images of the actual desktop computer from the classroom and each of us took different pieces and different aspects um, so we filed a uh, an amicus brief a friend of the court brief on behalf of julie to say this wasn't her and here is what really happened what really happened was you had no antivirus that was up to date you had a she was a substitute teacher and the guy that she was covering for was surfing porn and going to dating sites on this classroom computer but we did prove the case and so the um the verdict was vacated and unfortunately there were a lot of uh health problems that that julie had as a result of the stress when she was um, initially arrested she was pregnant she miscarried as a result of the stress and uh, we were hoping for the, the state to just dismiss the charges and Julie goes on about her life, gets her, her teaching credentials reinstated and you know just lives her happy life. Uh, the state was <clears throat> a little bit upset with us because this made national news and they were embarrassed. So they were not going to completely dismiss the charges, but they were willing to retry her. Uh, and with the new evidence. And so Julie pled to a lesser charge because she didn't want to go through another trial. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So, and what a, what a, I mean, I feel like you were, I feel like there could not have been a more perfect person on this planet than <laughs> you to be on her side with sort of your offensive way of thinking your technical study, your background in law. Um, and it's just, it's just fascinating to hear about, you know, this woman's story, but also your role in it. The fact that Dave Cullinane was so supportive of you contributing to this group uh, in order to protect this woman uh, who was so horribly under misunderstood uh, because of technical detail that wasn't understood uh, by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I can't take all the credit. The, Alex put together a rock-solid team, and it was really, it was a huge honor, actually, for me to be working with the, the other folks on this team, because they were people that I had heard of but never met. It was kind of like my entree into the uh, a higher echelon of folks in the security field and suddenly people were learning my name and mm -hmm. inviting me to uh meetings with uh, you know conferences at interpol and things like that it was just i i was overwhelmed with gratitude to be involved with something like that it was awesome and and so one of the 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 lofty goals that i i set out for myself that i was like ah I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to pull this one off, but now that I've had a taste of this, I want to be one of the best known malware researchers in the world. Uh, 
And then, and then we come to the present and not only have you accomplished that incredible goal, but the last question I have for you today is you're also accomplishing another one of the things that you had set out to do as a personal goal, which is you're, you're about to publish your debut thriller novel. Can you give us a little preview into what that's about? Um, well, I, I, I hope it's that imminent. Um, I'm learning a lot about the publishing field. Um, yeah, because uh, my next lofty, lofty goal is the New York Times bestseller list. Yes. I was actually really reticent about uh, writing cybercrime um, until I started to do it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually really fun because it, it utilizes a, a, a talent that I have and that I use in my day job too, which is I can translate highly complex concepts into plain English. And so that serves me well when I'm going to, say, a meeting in front of a bunch of executives to get budget for a project. I can, I can be the translator between the, the engineering side and also make it scary and understandable to the people who hold the purse strings. So this is sort of an extrapolation of that. Um, the first novel that I wrote um, since signing with a literary agent um, is a politically themed cybercrime thriller. And unfortunately, the timing is really bad. The topic that uh, this particular book was uh, dealing with was an assassination attempt against the President of the United States. In the current climate, that is not being received very well. But that said, the book is out on submission at uh, the big houses in New York and some smaller prints. That's been out uh, in, on submission. I, I wrote uh, another book. This one was a young adult cybercrime thriller that deals with sexting. And my agent loved the book. She said, oh, this is great, but it's super controversial. And so something this controversial, probably not going to be good fodder for a debut, but something that once I'm established, then I get to be as controversial as I want to be. So uh, now I am working on a new book that's a lot more uh, user-friendly, shall we say. It's a very simple, sort of a domestic thriller, still dealing with cybercrime themes about uh, a lawyer whose life is turned upside down. Uh, in the aftermath of a very ill-conceived affair. Very, very cool. What a fascinating peek into the publishing scene um, and all of the different factors that determine, because I feel like, gosh, I would love to read <laughs> that you described. Um, when we have you back on the podcast, and I certainly hope we will, I cannot wait to hear about the updates. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun, and I can't believe that the time has passed so quickly. I know. So. It's, that's, that's what happens when the stories are good, and that's exactly, that's exactly what we had hoped for. So thank you so much for being so open with us and so generous um, with sharing your story. Absolutely, and I will be happily, happy to come back. Wonderful. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.